1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined of the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the title of the message this morning is Glorifying God in Our Body. Glorifying God in Our Body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the promises you've given us in your word and the promise that you've given us to pres- that you would preserve your word. We know that heaven and earth shall pass away, but thy word shall not pass away. And Father, help us to rest upon that truth this morning and to learn and grow and allow the word of God to conform us in the image of Christ uh, for our good and thy glory. So have your will and your way and you may be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in New Testament times, there was a teaching that became prevalent. It was called Gnosticism. It's based on knowledge. And one of the things that it taught was, it taught that God was pure, but that all matter, all creation was evil. And some believe that some of the Gnostics believe there's different branches, as there is often cults and Some believe that you could be pure in spirit, but live to please or indulge in the flesh and still be pure in spirit. Now, sad to say, but this really is the philosophy of modern day professing Christianity. Their catchphrase is, quote, as long as the outside is not as important as long as the heart's right. Unquote. That's their catchphrase. The outside is not important as long as the heart's right. And this is partly what the word of the Lord here is addressing us in this passage. It's telling us it does matter what the body does. Because it belongs to the Lord. And we are to glorify Him with our body and our spirit. And so as Paul is writing to this church at Corinth, and he's, of course, this is for us today, 
I want to notice three things, and there are several sub-points. First of all, as we think about glorifying God in a body, first of all, we must be governed by the law of expedience. We need to learn to govern our, our bodies and ourselves by the law of expedience. If you notice in verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The word lawful here, in this context, I believe, we would say, it's all legal. It's legal. You know, think about the context and the things that Paul is talking about in this passage. For example, look at verse 9. Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves of mankind. All those things were legal in Corinth. Those are not modern-day actions or sins or behaviors of mankind, as they're called. They're all legal in Corinth and in the Roman Empire. In fact, many of the Roman emperors were sodomites. So all these things are legal. Fornication was prevalent. The religious shrines all had prostitutes where everybody went, and it was accepted, culturally accepted and legal. So, in the context here, and of course he goes on and says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Of course, all that stuff was going on, goes on in the world then as it is, does now. And he says, but such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, all, the, all these things are lawful, but they're not all expedient. They're all legal. You know, there, again, there were many things that were legally and culturally accepted in Corinth that were determined, that were detrimental to their walk and testimony for the Lord. But they're legal. They're legal. And in our world, as it's always been the case, as we can see, there are things that are legal that are destructive to us and destructive to our society. This, this, this uh, sodomy approvable, um, the Supreme Court thing, you know, that, you know, one of the things they said that it wasn't going to lead to other things. It wasn't going to lead to approval of transgenderism and all these other uh, sexual orientations. It all has. It's all the fruit of that. It's destroying our society. And some are finally waking up and saying, hey, wait a minute here. In fact, there's a, uh, I think it was a representative in Georgia just this week put forth a bill to make it a felony to encourage transgender transition for those under 18 years old in any way doctor nurse whatever a felony federal felony and a lot of people are saying it's about time see all these things are legal you know, smoking, drinking, drugs, fornication, gluttony, abortion, sodomy, rebelling against your parents, etc., etc. All these things are legal and they're culturally accepted. But that is not how we are to govern ourselves as the children of God, just because it's legal or it's accepted in our culture. That's not our standard. We ought not even consider it. In fact, that's, you know, Paul made that statement in chapter 4. If we go back there, 
where he says in verse uh, 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. In other words, I don't judge myself by man's judgment. I have a higher standard. And that standard is the Lord. So it may be legal, it may be accepted in society, but with me, or with the Lord, it is not okay. And, you know, and, and of course, the, the, the justification for all this stems from the idea, and comes many of the, the Judaizers, some of them, uh, comes from the idea that, you know, we're not, or, or the modern day idea is, we're not under the law, we're under grace, so it doesn't matter what we do. For example, go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Colossians 2, and verse, and it is true, we've been delivered from the, the penalty and, and the consequences of the law. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your sins, and in uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with, you, with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances was against us, which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility of worshiping angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by fleshly mind, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now, you know, he's, he's talking about how here, you know, Christ has delivered us from the, the curse of the law being made a curse for us, and he spoiled the principalities and powers. We're not under the ordinances of the Old Testament. We don't have to, we don't have to, uh, to do those to be saved. Uh, we don't have to keep eating cer- eat certain meats or drink certain drinks or, or, or observe certain holy days or, or keep the Sabbath day or, or, uh, uh, you know, we have the Lord's day and we don't have to, uh, uh, a resort to asceticism, you know how some deny themselves certain things and and fast and pray or or humiliate themselves or or to try and earn favor with God. That's what verses twenty to twenty three are talking about, like the like Catholic monks do. You know they they resort to asceticism to earn favor. We don't have to do that. It's of no value. We don't have. We've been delivered from all that. But we are not to use our liberty that we have in Christ as a license to sin. Galatians 5.13 tells us that very clearly. We're not to use it as an occasion to the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. See, the Bible still teaches us, Second or Titus chapter 2, verse 11 tells 11.12 says, Though grace, 
that's brought salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. No, we aren't to be governed by what is legal or lawful, but by what is expedient. See, he says, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Now, the word expedient, we are to be governed by expedient, and the word expedient comes from the word expeditional or expedite, which means to speed up the progress or to hasten. And the idea here or the meaning of the word expedient in this context means profitable. It has the sense of helping us on our way. So we're we govern by that which is expedient or that which would help us on our way in our walk with the Lord. And things that are legal may not help us. They may be hindrances to us. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23, again, he uses this this wording. All things are law for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are law for me, but all things edify not. See, for us as children of God, we need to ask ourselves the question, not is it legal, but will it help us in our relationship with the Lord? Will it help our testimony to the world? Is it right? Is it right with the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law? You know, I've often heard this. We should ask, the question we should ask is, what is right about it? You know, oftentimes we say, children will say, and we did as we were kids too, what's wrong with it? And what we're doing is looking for a justification to do it. No, we ought to ask ourselves, what's right about it? What will, it help? will it help us? Will it hasten us on our way or our relationship with the Lord? Will it further my relationship with the Lord? Will it further enhance my testimony to the world? Not is it accepted by the world. And so we are to be governed by the law of expedience. By the law of expedience. If we want to glorify God in our bodies. Second thing, it says we're not to yield to enslaving or indictive sin. Notice verse 12 again. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You notice Paul said there in verse 12, the Bible says in verse 12, uh, not be brought under the power of any. Again, there are many things that are legal and lawful that be- can become enslaving sinful habits that will hinder our service with the Lord. It, any sin is addictive. Sin's addictive. And we, we know, in, particular, in the context here, of course, you know, smoking, drinking, you know, some of the things he mentions here. Uh, but uh, the, in context here, one of the things that he's pointing out most uh, 
clearly is fornication or any, and the word fornication refers to any type of sexual sin. And these addictive sins are destructive or harmful to the body. Notice verse 18. It says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You know, there are, again, many sins that are addictive. Lot was overcome with a love of money. Samson overcome by his sensual appetites. Solomon, again, the love of women. One commentator said this, as we're thinking about uh, 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 sinning against your own body. One commentator said this, quote, Sins committed against the body affect the nervous system the source of all our most acute suffering and our most exalted blessing. The nervous system is so constituted by God as to be the cause of punishment or reward. Sin carries with it its own punishment, and it is not, and it is not a sin of indulgence, gluttony, intemperance, or licentiousness of any form, a terrible retribution on the body, unquote. You see, sin affects the nervous system. Remember when David's confession in Psalm 32, he said, my bones waxed old. And, I, you know, he, he was like he was dying. And, and, and sin affects the nervous system. Look at, for example, this, to show this, go to Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. The Lord had given Moses the, a lie detector, detector system, which is too bad they don't know how to make it today. But Numbers chapter 5, verse 6, and, th- and this is what this is, and this, this, uh, this talks about here the, 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 the bitter water, and this water responds to the nervous system of a guilty person, or, you know, it depends on the person whether it's guilty or not. But notice what it says, Numbers 5, verse 6. Speak unto the children of Israel, when a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit to do a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty. Um, I'm not sure I'm in the right. No, I'm not in the right. Uh, not in the right chapter. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I think I'm supposed to start in verse 16. Uh, anyway. Um, now, verse, verse 12. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither be taken with the manner. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her, tenth part of a neaf of barley meal, and he shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon. For it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. 
And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take the holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is a jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee besides thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. In this water that causeth the curse to go into thy bowels, and to make thy belly to swell, and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. He shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the offering before the Lord, and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her drink the water, then it shall come to pass that... If she be defiled and have done trespasses against her husband, that the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, her belly shall swell and her thighs shall rot, and the woman shall be cursed among her people. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies when a woman goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled. So, you know, again, what this bitter water did was react to the nervous system, a guilty conscience, uh, the the nervous system of a a person with a guilty conscience. And if if they were guilty, it caused her thigh, her belly to swell and her thigh to rot. If she was not guilty, it had no effect. Again, it reacted Emerald Hahn has an excellent article about this in his book, The Chemistry of the Blood, and how it, what that did was react to the nervous system of the body. And it caused her to rot if she was guilty. So it reacted. And, and so, you know, he's saying here, you know, the, the sin causes the nervous system uh, to affect us physically. Uh, and so we're not to yield... You know, this, this, these things, this sin has an, a, an, a, an a, a enslaving, an addictive uh, 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 effect upon us, and we are not to be brought under the power of any. And fornication, you know, and one of the justifications here, see, and we hear similar things like this today. Well, there are certain meats that they weren't supposed to eat. But now you're saying all meat. You know, it's all meat, so we can eat it all, and it doesn't matter. And, you know, God made meat, and, and he made the, the uh, um, sexual relationship for enjoyment, so what's wrong with it in any way, as long as it's with consent? So, like, I mean, we were in Ohio, 
several years back at a missions candidate school, and a um, guy was trying to justify smoking marijuana to the pastor at one point. He said, after all, God made it. It's a plant God made, so why can't we use it? He said, well, why don't you smoke uh, poison ivy? It's a plant God made. Yeah, you want to use that. And so they're saying, you know, if, if uh, all meats are okay and be- meats are for the belly to satisfy the belly, why can't we rent fornication if it satisfies our sensual appetites? He said they're not the same. Fornication is addictive and is destructive to the body. Notice again verse 18. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. They bring you into bondage. Hebrews 4, or not Hebrews, Hosea 4, 10 through 12 says this. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom, shall not increase. Because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. And so we are not to be enslaved or yield to enslaving or brought under the power of addictive sin. Be enslaved by sin. And then third thing, I want you to notice, our bodies belong to the Lord. Again, verse 13 through 20, meets for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us up us by his own power. Know ye not that the bodies, your bodies, are the members of Christ, shall then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. You know, our bodies, and I want to notice three things here. First of all, our bodies are the members of of Christ. Uh, in, you know, because of the resurrection, our bodies are in, uh, in relation to Christ is eternal. Um, it speaks of our destiny. Our destiny for our body is resurrection. It's going to be changed. And so, so it, it has an eternal relation. And of course, because of regeneration or salvation, our bodies belong to Christ. Even now, in this temporal state, and of course, this this speaks of not of our destiny, but of our duty. You know, Romans eight eleven says, it, Romans eight verse eleven, uh, the Bible says there. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell on you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. In other words. That's your body you're living in right now, your temporary one. So the Spirit of Christ is going to quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. So despite the fact that this body that you're living in now is inclined to sin, that's its natural tendency. The power of God can give life to it that through it you can serve him acceptably and bring glory to him. I mean, look at the, think of the, the examples in the Bible. Abraham, we talked about him 
I guess it was Sunday night. Or, you know, Abraham wasn't perfect, yet God blessed him and used him mightily. God was glorified through him. Joseph, of course, Joseph, you know, there's nothing really bad recorded or evil recorded about Joseph, but yet he, you know, we know he was a sinner, but God glorified him. Moses was a man that, you know, he had there some, um, you know, he killed a man at one point earlier in his life. Uh, he struck the rock twice, but God was glorified through the life and testimony of Moses. Joshua. Well, think about the one we heard in Sunday school class this morning. Rahab. And what do you think of when you think of Rahab? The harlot. But Rahab, the harlot, came to trust in the God of Israel. She didn't continue being a harlot. She married Solomon. It's believed to be one of those young men that went in there and spied Jericho. And she had the, one of the godliest men of the Old Testament. That was her son. His name was Boaz. And that godly man married another sinner who glorified God in her body, and that was Ruth. See, God, despite the fact this body is inclined to sin, God, through his spirit, indwells us that we might glorify him in this body. Paul said this way, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not of us. It's of him. Our bodies have been made members of Christ. So since the body has spiritual significance, it must not be given to expressions of impurity. Or in bondage to sin. It is taking what belongs to Christ and joining it with harlotry, which dishonors Christ and desecrates the body. Secondly, our body is the Spirit's dwelling place. Notice verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of, God, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? So, our body, he says here, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, or the dwelling place of of the Holy Ghost. You know, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of course, is a New Testament doctrine. In the Old Testament, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers was described by one person as, one pastor as, quote, partial, occasional, and especial, unquote. In other words, he worked in their lives in the Old Testament. He, he filled them, was with them, but his presence could be removed. For example... Judges 13.25, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times, move him at times, in the camp of Dan between Zor and Eshtel, speaking of, of course, Samson. And Judges 15.14, when he came unto Leah, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. So again, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But 
in Judges 16.20, it says, And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep, and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. See, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Samson because he violated his vow. And we find this other places in the Old Testament. For example, go to, go to 1 Samuel 16. This is, this is very vivid here, how that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, but did not indwell as he indwells believers today. And we see this... Uh, Illustrated very well for us in the life of King Saul. 1 Samuel 11, verse 6 says, And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. But notice chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. You remember in Psalm 51, David prayed, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You know, that's a prayer that we don't need to pray. Because in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God indwells us forever. And John, uh, and Jesus told his disciples this before it actually came to pass, that it was going to come to pass. In John chapter 14... Verses 16 and 17, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. And then in chapter 15, verse 26 again, But when the comforter is come, so he's going to come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And then, of course, Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, three times in, the, in those three verses, he uses the word either word dwell or dwelleth. And it means to be fixed and operative in one soul or to remain. When a person receives Christ as Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God takes up residence and he is a fixed. He is fixed and operative in that person's life. Until we go to be with the Lord. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Talks about the earnest of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. He, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day we go to be with the Lord. 1 John 2.27 20, talks about the anointing in the Spirit. And it says that anointing abideth. And that word abideth again means to remain or continue to be present. And so our body is the Spirit's dwelling place, the Spirit's temple. 
And we're not to grieve the Spirit of God by sin and immoral conduct. We're not to join the Holy Spirit's temple to an harlot. Your, your body's not yours. If you're saved this morning, your body is not just yours. It belongs to God. He's purchased it. It's redemption. Titus 2.14 again says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So our body is the Spirit's dwelling place. I want you to notice also thirdly, our bodies are to be vessels of glory. Verse 20. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, now he's talking about some false doctrines and, and, and things prior to this in uh, uh, verses 16 through 18. But anyway, if man purge himself from these, he should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet. The word sanctified means set apart for. Meet means fit or qualified. Sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So... You know, we, our bodies are to be vessels that we prepare, uh, vessels that God desires that our bodies be vessels of honor, prepared, sanctified, and fit for the Master's use. How do we do that? Well, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. You know, your body, your, your, your natural body, your natural inclinations of your body are corrupt. They are contrary to that which pleases God. Do you know we're all naturally rebels? That's putting it bluntly, but that's putting it plainly. We're all naturally rebels. We don't like to be told no. And we don't like to be corrected. I said we. We're all naturally rebels. We're just well-trained rebels. We're better trained than some other rebels. And others are more outwardly rebellious than we are. But that's what we are. Our human nature is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So what do we do about it? We have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It starts in the mind. Got to get a thinking process right. And that you put on the new man, 
Notice, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then he starts some practical ways. Practical things. Put away lying. So the old corrupt man wants to lie. He wants to cover his sin. He doesn't want to admit his sin. He wants to lie about it. God says, you don't lie. You speak the truth. Be angry and sin not. See, we want to we we blow our emotions, and you know, they can come in various forms, and blame somebody else. Instead of taking responsibility for our actions. We don't want to work for what we get. We want to just take it. Yeah, if we could, we would. If there were no laws against it, we would. Except for the grace of God. I mean, in most countries that are what we consider pagans, that's what they do. That's why almost all the countries of the world, they have fences around their homes. That's what we're coming to in America. In fact, I just read in our Nextdoor app a 2015 VW Jetta was stolen during that stormy night along with a lady's purse right out of her driveway. She said in less than Less than, I forget what she said, was it two minutes or, I mean, a very, very short time those thieves were in that car and gone with it. See, no, let them, he says, no, let him, those that steal, steal no more, but rather let them labor working with hands. See, we have to change, we have to put off the old man, it's like taking off dirty clothes and putting on clean ones. We need to put off dirty actions or corrupt actions, things that displease God, things that are not expedient for my Christian life, and put on things that are expedient, that are right, that are helpful. That's how we do it. If we can't blame others, you know, I heard a lot of kids grow up and they blame their parents. Well, then they, then they blame their spouse, and then they blame their circumstances, then they blame the world, and so on. It just keeps going and going. They don't learn to accept responsibility. The reality is, according to the Word of God, we're just too full of self. That's our problem. If we're not glorifying God, it's because we're too full of self. It's because we're corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. You know, when I have a problem... With my relationship with the Lord, and usually, and when, not usually, when I have a problem with other people, it's because I'm too full of self. And not have put on the new man, which is a choice. See, God desires to use our bodies to glorify Him. But he is limited in that respect by our choices. We must yield our bodies. Your Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. In verse 6. And then verse 12. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin 
Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That's just body that we're living in. We don't have to let sin reign in that you should obey it and it's less thereof. And then verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And if we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, to quicken our mortal bodies, give life to. Our bodies can then become vessels that bring glory to God. You know, Paul's body, Saul's body, was a vessel of wrath. But after Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul's body became a vessel of glory. And it all boils down to, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That was the changing point in Saul's life. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, we must yield our bodies. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, that's the body, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's not a matter of what is legal. Or as many do, try, what can I get by with? It's a matter of what glorifies my Lord. We're to seek to do those things that are expedient, that help us on our way to glorifying God. So the question is this morning, are you glorifying God in your body? You can. God has made a way. If you've received him as your Lord and Savior, he has given you the Spirit of God to indwell you. And through his power, he can quicken your mortal body that it might glorify him. But you must yield to it.